And therefore, as a free man, I take pride in the words, Ich bin ein Science! Science! I know the human being and science can coexist peacefully. This was our finest. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Petri Dish. I am Sean Allen. This is Nathan Allen. And today we are going to talk about the wonderful and totally scientific world of acupuncture. Total bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think that acupuncture as a topic is uh, its going to be a really fun one for us to talk about because there's a lot of on-ramps to this discussion, right? People listening can um, be coming at it from, hey, maybe you're an acupuncturist, okay? And so you totally believe in this shit. You are 100% on board. Or maybe you're somebody who's like, oh, well, I think I've heard of it. It's like some needly, sticky kind of situation. And then maybe you're like Nathan, and you think it's just dog shit on par with uh, homeopathy. Which is awkward, since we've both had acupuncture. Yeah, so I thought maybe <laughs> we could start out by talking a little bit about our experiences with acupuncture. So when did you get it? Mine's less interesting. I got acupuncture, I think, in ninth grade. My foot hurt, and my mom who is Korean, was really adamant that I get acupuncture from a Korean, not Chinese person, a Korean person. <laughs> so then I got that good Korean acupuncture. I thought it was total bullshit. I got it. The time I was getting it, I didn't like it. I thought it was bullshit. And my foot did feel much better afterwards. So your experience was you went in not believing and it kind of felt like it worked at the end of it? Yes. It's very, very dissatisfying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So on my end, uh, fascinating. It, it was also a foot thing. Yeah. I've been to acupuncture twice. First time, I also, I had chronic pain in my foot uh, from doing Taekwondo. And my mom, also Korean, because she is the same as your mom, <laughs> so, took me in to an acupuncturist. And like you, uh, I was like, this is, this is all bullshit. And also like you, my foot felt better afterward. Regardless, though, both yeah. of us... We're not going in with a positive attitude. And it helped both. And times. both of us begrudgingly would have to admit that it helped. Although what you're also leaving out is that I was acupunctured by like some old Korean dude. And you had two hot chicks acupuncturing you. Which I do feel like there's like, scientifically, there's cross effects here, right? Like it's hard to do cause and effect here. I think just some hot ladies touched your foot. The pretty lady acupuncturists were the second time I got acupuncture. Oh, my bad. I had this sort of acute lower back pain from working out stupid. Mm. And that time, I don't know if it helped at all. So, and but... then two acute ladies came. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, now you're Peter Sig. Um, okay, so, so I think now that we've got out of the way that both of us have experienced acupuncture and both benefited from it yes uh, i think now we can actually jump in a little bit and on my end i'm going to try to talk about some of the scientific aspects of acupuncture right. i'm sure everyone listening has a vague idea of what acupuncture is what is even the theory of acupuncture like what the fuck is going on yeah so right now at the top say there are some chinese words involved in acupuncture I'm not going to do them right. So that at the very least, I'm going to be able to hit like this first one, which is chi. Yes. So there's this idea that there's energy inside of, I think, all living things. Yeah. But especially in our bodies, there's this kind of circulating energy called chi. And chi circulates in our body along certain channels or paths that in uh, a lot of English and in the West, we call meridians. Or jingle. Yeah. In Chinese. Yeah, wow, that was great, man. Beautifully pronounced. <laughs> and so these meridians are kind of the channels or the rivers of chi that flow through your body. And there are different points along these meridians. And these acupoints, they're the places where you're supposed to put the little pokey needles that get used in acupuncture. There's like 400, maybe more acupoints right now at this point. But realistically, when you're talking about acupuncture you get most of the time, only about 50 or so are ever really used nowadays. Why? What happened to the other 350? Yeah, so maybe some of them are for kind of rarer conditions. Sure. To, or like they've kind cancer of fallen or out of favor. You know yeah. what I mean? Like maybe 
the practitioners are like, oh no, these 50, these are the primo spots. Right, okay. And the other ones, just they don't do as much for your chi. What a silly feel. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 just kidding. All right. but <laughs> so, so with these acupoints, you're taking little needles and you're sticking them anywhere from two millimeters to like two centimeters deep. Jesus. So you might be getting kind of deep and usually that depends on the acupoint. So I'm not saying that like for any acu, like the ones on the spine, they're like shoving them in two centimeters, oh. right? It's kind of like the fleshier spots. Usually they can go deeper. Uh, and then these needles are pretty thin. Usually they're like uh, 0.3 millimeters or thinner. So that's wow. that's in the micrometer range. Like we're talking pretty thin needles. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of times they'll stick them in. They'll do a little twisty, a little twisty right. dude on them. And then sometimes there's fancier acupunctures. There's like heat lamps or like even electricity gets flowed in. It's right. like, kind of like electro acupuncture. So the theory is that there's this energy inside you and the needles manipulate this energy. Does anyone even believe that theory of it anymore? Or are there actually people running around who practice acupuncture who actually say that they're manipulating chi? I think that a very large percentage of people who practice acupuncture believe in chi and meridians and that the physical manipulation of needles affect those things. I think what is appreciated is that there was a time period where some people thought maybe chi and meridians correspond to something physical in our bodies. Okay. Like maybe that there was sort of like how we have blood vessels in a circulation system or we have nerves that run all through our body. Maybe there was a corresponding set of channels or something like that. Real physical channels. And no one thinks that anymore? No. Pretty okay. much nobody thinks that anymore. So has it been scientifically studied and how could you even scientifically study it? Right. So I think the important thing to say is that there's been a lot of studies. And if you take the highest quality studies and you kind of do this meta analysis where you look at all the data, I think the top line thing you can say is acupuncture seems to do something. Okay. <laughs> so Sure. So you do acupuncture and then it rains in Canada. <laughs> so it seems to do something. Okay. But what does it do? Because... Here's the first step of my frustration with acupuncture is that some acupuncturists will sell it as doing almost anything, right? That like, oh, you can use acupuncture to help you with your hepatitis B, or you can use it for mm. those, you know, herpes cold sores you got, or you can use it to help you with heroin addiction. Okay. <laughs> and I think that it's probably not true for every single one of those. I things. do like the idea that the solution to shooting up heroin is to poke yourself with different needles. <laughs> I like just the oh, imagery man. of that. Oh, that's a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that there's an automatic narrowing and kind of goalpost moving with acupuncture. Sure. Which is that out of all the things that acupuncture has ever been used on, most of them it does not work for. Right. But in a very specific subset, mostly related to pain, and then also, almost weirdly specifically, chemotherapy-induced nausea. Okay. Acupuncture seems to be better than both no treatment and treatment with pill-based placebos. Wow, okay. So mostly unrelated bullshit with pain, with chemo, crazy nausea shit. It might even be one of the better solutions. It performs better than pill-based placebo, okay? Now, some kinds of pain can be effectively managed with different kinds of analgesic drugs. Some people don't want to take analgesic drugs for a variety of reasons. You know, some of them consider it unnatural or, as a very good argument nowadays, too addictive. And in some situations, analgesic drugs don't help that much. There are some people with chronic pain, and the management of that chronic pain is not effectively done using analgesic drugs. This is much too late for this question, but what is an analgesic drug? <laughs> uh, that just means pain relieving. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you, so you're just using this analgesics just to make me look stupid, aren't you, huh? Well, it's got the... It's got anal in it. <laughs> so, uh, okay. No, yeah. So pain relief drugs, um, like the actual compounds that, you know, a lot of people would say, oh, Western medicine, the drugs right. for pain relief. Sometimes people consider them too addictive and don't want to use them. Maybe they're concerned about uh, that. Or for chronic management of pain, sometimes they're not effective anymore. Okay. So I'm hearing, so this is sounds like studies that show that acupuncture does something, uh, especially vis-a-vis -vis pain. But I want the real hard science stuff. Why does acupuncture work? 
Here's where I would say the first thing that I find really disconcerting about acupuncture is a lot of times when you do a study and you want to have uh, different kinds of control situations to really tell if acupuncture is doing something better than something else, one of the good controls that you set up is called sham acupuncture. So what sham acupuncture does is somebody still gets poked with a little needle, <laughs> right. but in the wrong spot, quote, quote unquote, <laughs> the wrong spot, right? right? Not on an acupoint. Mm. And what they find is when you do sham acupuncture, that also outperforms pill placebo. Okay. So sham acupuncture does something the same way that real acupuncture does something. And in a hmm. lot, in some studies, they're no better than each other. And occasionally in some studies, quote, real acupuncture is a little bit better. Okay. Okay. Now, right off the bat, that seems to suggest that maybe getting poked with needles seems like the kind of thing that helps people for some reason. Right. And that maybe this is its own level of placebo effect. Okay. To take a step or a moment, we should kind of talk about what the placebo effect is. Okay, yeah. Uh, in case people aren't caught up on that. So the placebo effect is basically when you take something or do something for which there's no actual physiological reason why it should have an effect, right? It's not like you're taking a drug and that drug goes and hits a protein and then that protein does something different, blah, blah, blah. There's no reason in that direction. Instead, it's a psychological effect. Okay. And one of the places where placebo effects are the strongest is with pain management. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. Um, pain is in the mind. <laughs> yes, thank you for that. So if there's explanations of why acupuncture work, number one is maybe the placebo effect. It works because we think it works. And so we just psychologically feel better about our pain treatment. Yeah, and one of the things I think we should also say is that your brain is a physical thing connected to your body, and so you thinking stuff can have ultimately a physiological effect on right. you, okay? So things like cortisol and stress hormones and everything are very closely relinked to your mental state, right. but those have real physiological effects on your systems. Right. So I don't want to say that acupuncture having a mental effect means that it doesn't do anything. Right. That still can do something to you. And especially right. for pain management, the outcome that you care about is does the patient feel better? Because pain is in the mind. God damn. <laughs> <laughs> and if the patient feels better, then, then you know what? Like maybe acupuncture is fine. Okay. Okay. But are there other theories of acupuncture that are supported by science? So maybe. Okay. Maybe. Like People are on the lookout because acupuncture in some studies outperforms pill-based placebo and sometimes outperforms sham acupuncture. People want to know what's going People on. People want to know, hey, is there like a real deep down biological reason? Mm. And there's maybe some options out there. They are all understudied. So I think that's a place where we're going to get to see a lot more research being done. One of them has to do with the twisting on the needle. Okay. So there's nerves and just your cells all throughout your skin right. that can detect physical, mechanical motions. This, in a certain sense, is just related to your sensation of touch. But also, evolutionarily speaking, is because if you do get damaged somewhere in your skin, you want to know about what that source of damage is, right? So there's all these sensors in your skin that are really attuned to whether something is kind of moving stuff around. So if you puncture the needle in and twist it, what seems to happen is a kind of signaling across cells in the area where they will release some kind of molecule. Sometimes it's calcium, and sometimes it's something called adenosine triphosphate, or ATP. Isn't that like energy? Yeah, it's, it's one of the energy currencies of the cell. But in this case, once it gets secreted, it gets turned into adenosine really quickly by uh, these enzymes outside of your cells. Mm. And adenosine is both anti-inflammatory and seems to be on its own an analgesic molecule. So it seems to be pain relieving. Okay. So if this bears out, it means that having small punctures in places and the twisting motion sets off a bunch of cells to release a pain relief molecule. And that maybe this is why you have localized pain relief, pain relief that's stronger nearby where the actual punctures are. Also, there are some studies to suggest that while you get acupuncture, in your blood, the levels of what are called endo-opioids go up. And endo-opioids are 
opioid-like molecules that your own body produces mm. and are related to pain relief. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that there might be an interface between mechanical forces on your skin cells and the release of some pain relief molecules in your body. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot more studies that need to happen there. It needs to be confirmed by other labs. And once that's done, maybe we can get better understanding of the real mechanisms behind all of that. But some of it is kind of promising. Like this uh, adenosine molecule I was talking about, it eventually gets broken down relatively quickly, right? So that signal doesn't last for very long. They found that if you treat mice with a drug that prevents the breakdown of adenosine, the pain relief lasts longer from acupuncture mm. on the mice. So these dudes are doing like mouse acupuncture to like make the mice feel better. That's pretty cool. And in that mouse study, the mice felt better for longer if you gave them this extra drug, which I think opens up a really interesting window, which is if we do study acupuncture, it turns out to not be bullshit. Maybe we can make it even better. You right. know what I mean? Maybe, maybe there are opportunities for us to kind of... But then we would pollute it with Western sciences. <laughs> That's <laughs> definitely going to be an argument that comes up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's definitely going to be some people who are like, don't These... pollute my Eastern medicine with yeah, your yeah. Western bullshit. Western drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Not my Asian body. Yeah. Which, by the way, I see this interesting note right here that acupuncture works better on Asians. Well, okay. So, so what, what it is, is that, look, when we try to find studies to do analysis on whether this works or not, there's papers published all over the world, right? right. People are doing science everywhere. Right. Okay. And some science is better than other science in okay. the sense that some people actually try to use controls in, in the way that they give this treatment to people. Right. So people try to be consistent. Uh, and then other people just don't give a shit. Right. And publish in shitty journals. What they found is that a lot of articles being published in East Asia about acupuncture show a greater effect of acupuncture. Mm. Now, is that because there's more good acupuncturists in East Asia because that's where it was fucking invented? Maybe. Well, isn't it all the fetal bovine serum inside their anti-aging wow. serum? I didn't think you were going to bring that back. I mean, it gets all these myoplastus in their <laughs> skin. That, I, that, <laughs> I don't know why I ever taught you science. I shouldn't have done it. You're just going to use it for evil. So is it because their acupuncturists are better? Is it because their patients are more inclined to think that it works? Or is it because the studies are designed with more bias? Yeah, or, or there, there's something called publishing bias, which is you only want to publish studies that either go well or go in the direction that you want them to. And so there is some concern of publishing bias where you just only publish your positive results. Mm. Now, that's a lot of confounding factors. And so it's hard to judge some of the, these studies on their quality merits because of that. So acupuncture seems to do something. It's really hard to define what it is. Yeah, and it's a little bit hard to figure out how big of an effect it is because real acupuncture is similar in effect magnitude to sham acupuncture. And in all of these studies, kind of the gold standard of clinical studies is something called a double-blind study. Mm -hmm. And a double-blind means that the patient doesn't know if they're getting the real thing or a placebo. And the caregiver, the person actually doing the stuff, also doesn't know if they're doing the real thing or the fake thing, mm. okay? It's basically impossible to do that second part of the blind with acupuncture because you don't want somebody who has no idea right, <laughs> to be sure. sticking needles to people. <laughs> so, like, so like the acupuncturist is going to know if they're doing the real thing or the fake thing. So we basically can't do our favorite kind of study. We can't do a double blind okay. the way that things are set up right now. So very opaque subject scientifically. I think that begs the question, why is acupuncture popular? Where does acupuncture come from? What's its historical development and cultural significance? Let's take a break, but afterwards, we're going to dive straight into that really thicket of thorns. <laughs> hey guys, Sean here. If you're like me, you like ordering food from Postmates or Grubhub. But imagine the same quality of food, but without any dishes outside of your place, somewhere clean, somewhere designed to maximize your dining experience. You don't have to go there, sure, but you can meet your friends. You could take your partner. Studies show 100% of partners like occasionally leaving the house. Maybe you even would too. 
This is not just a dream. It's called a restaurant. And there's probably some in your neighborhood already. Go today. Welcome back to Petri Dish. And now we're going to do a little role reversal. I am going to be the sensei. And Sean will be the grasshopper. Or the interlocutor. Interlocutor. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to be the fuck up this time around. Yes, because we're talking about the history of acupuncture and why I'm skeptical of acupuncture. Acupuncture comes from China. And and if you don't know, China is south of Russia, north of Cambodia, and (laughs) east of Kazakhstan. And people have been living in those Chinese river basins for thousands of years. I'm talking 6,000 BCE, we find pottery around the Huanghao River. It's about 2000 BCE when we have our first recorded dynasty, the Shang Dynasty. The reason I bring this stuff up is to really impress upon you that Chinese civilization is really, really, really f***ing old. People have been doing Chinese stuff in China for a really long time. And acupuncture emerged thousands of years into Chinese civilization around 300 or 200 BCE. In other words, Acupuncture seems old to us now. It seems ancient. But within Chinese civilization, there was a point where acupuncture was a new science, an innovative science, a whole new way to do medicine. It makes sense. When it emerged around 300-200 was a very explosive period of Chinese politics and philosophy. There was a lot of new thinking. And acupuncture was a fusion of earlier Chinese folk practices, usually revolving around burning incense on key nodes or focal points on the human body, that plus the new philosophies of yin and yang and qi. Back then, yin and yang itself was a new innovative philosophy like Confucianism and Taoism. Those things are not 4,000, 8,000 years old. They all emerge together and then inform this new practice of acupuncture. So, From about 200 BCE to around 1200, 1300 CE, acupuncture was a very important medicine in China and the foundation for a new canon of medicine, out of which emerged Chinese uh, pharmacology, what we would today call Chinese traditional medicine, but to them was awesome new medicine that they were figuring out. And just like how things innovate in the West, acupuncture fell out of favor. It was the old shit, the outdated shit, the stuff that had historical importance and was really cool for its time and that people could recognize was important for the broader development of Chinese medicine, but it just wasn't useful. It was what those people did way back when in way past Chinese civilization. By 1415, 1600, by the Ming and Qing dynasty, the last two dynasties of imperial China, by then, acupuncture wasn't even a respected medicine. It wasn't classified as a proper technique by the imperial court or by their doctors. It was a folk tradition, and it understandably passed out of the medical canon. Okay, so you're saying that uh, from Greco-Roman times... Up to, like, Robin Hood men in tights times. Yeah. Acupuncture was the shit in China, but it was starting to show its age. Yeah. And by the time you had Leonardo dick-slapping Michelangelo and stuff like that. Right, right. Basically, the Chinese weren't digging it anymore. Yeah, they were like, this is some old shit that was useful. Uh, like, Like when Romans would drill holes in skulls or, like, leeching, right? Like, it's one of those old ideas that's stupid... It made sense at the time, but it's stupid now. Well, let's not... What? What are you doing to me? What do you think you're doing? <laughs> Technically, both of those things you just said are actually things that get used nowadays. What are you talking about? Drilling holes in skulls and the medicinal use of leeches are both things that can happen now. You son of a bitch. I do one history segment and you just shit all over me. <laughs> Next thing you're going to remind me that we've both got acupuncture and it helped both of us. Yeah, I, I, it's probably worth remembering every once in a while. You son of a bitch! No, okay, okay. <laughs> you betrayed me. <laughs> all right, to make it up to you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you out a little bit here. So if this shit fell out of favor in China, why are we even hearing about it now? I mean, like the place that gave spawn to it doesn't care about it anymore. How how did it come back? 
Sean, if you had to guess, what group of European people did some stupid ass shit and made some stupid shit popular again? Who do you think it is? Right, I'm gonna go with the souffle people yeah. of Europe, the French fried potatoes. The sous vide people. <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> but yeah, so the French, right? Now, Dutch people and Jesuits were the first people who traded with Asia. And by that point, acupuncture did exist in Korea and Japan. So Dutch and Jesuit people, starting in the 16 and 1700s, recorded acupuncture, were like, wow, that's wacky. That's pretty crazy talk. But it's not until the 1800s, when the French were traveling widely, they, had, they started occupying Vietnam, that they started to look at acupuncture. This was a period in French art and aesthetic known as Orientalism. They loved Asian shit. French people thought it was so sexy and like immoral, but kinky in a way that they weren't allowed to be anymore, right? It was Oriental stuff was the way they could project all their weird desires. It started with the Turks. They would paint these like naked Turkish ladies getting ravaged. And then they saw East Asian women and were like, like, whoa! Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, like, yeah, started sweating profusely. Guy! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Game changer. Uh, they go all Woody Allen with East Asia, oh, like, freak out. <laughs> and they start to take Japanese art. They love Japanese art. Uh, they start to make exhibitions in Paris around all this stuff. The tea, the lacquerware, the porcelain, of course. Sure. Porcelain. Silk, Madame Butterfly. Silk, Madame Butterfly, the opera fucking opera pinkerton yeah right like all this stuff toe licking toe licking it, toe licking yeah i got you right and then acupuncture is part of that story the french looked at acupuncture and said like this is a part of an ancient tradition because part of the orientalist attitude was that like current china sucks but they used to be awesome let's get their old awesome shit Sure, it's kind of like a patronizing, kind of imperialist sort of view of things. Right. It's like, you know, the... This is the height of empire. Right. And so there starts to be French practitioners of acupuncture. And the, the irony today is that the French continue to do acupuncture, and now the French have a whole different school of acupuncture, and they have a feud with Italian acupuncturists over who best practices European white-style acupuncture. Man, that is one of the most European things I've ever heard. So in America, this fascination is a little more modern going back to the 1950s or 60s. Now, Sean knows this as a scientist. He feels the hate of his fellow American on a daily basis. But America has a long tradition of general distrust in science. It kind of was seen as a frou-frou European thing uh, way back when in 1824. One of our presidents, John Quincy Adams, suggested giving federal money to making universities. And... All the people who would later become Democrats were like, oh, man, this guy sucks. This guy's so lame. Fuck this European dude. Uh, let's just spend that money on, like, you know, deporting more Indians, right? So America has a rich tradition of hating the sciences. To be fair, there were some reasons to mistrust government and its ancillary scientific institutions. This is the era of DDT the Tuskegee experiments and Henrietta Lacks, the Vietnam War and Agent Orange, there were real and legitimate abuses by different members of the scientific establishment. What is unfortunate is that disparate abuses by disparate institutions were weaved together into a narrative. Now, on the right of American culture and politics, there have always been people who deeply mistrusted modern science, like I don't know, the Christian scientists. There are always people who believe more in faith-based healing, in televangelists, right? But in the 1950s and 60s, you have a left-wing reaction to large scientific institutions, which was a little bit newer in American civilization. We're, of course, ultimately talking about the hippies, right? People who believed overall that Western science was an unnatural deviation from the order of things, had created the atomic bomb, was no longer trustworthy, worked with the government, and then you had things like MKUltra made it a little bit easier to believe all that stuff. These folks thus searched 
for different forms of knowledge, of philosophy, of medicine that were outside the Western canon. Now, we all know this in terms of music, like George Harrison picking up a fucking sitar. And we all know it in terms of philosophy, you know, like all the Rajneeshi, you know, whatever yoga shit uh, that has now matriculated into popular culture. But in terms of the medicines, this turns into new age medicine, right? All the herbal and medicinal crap, uh, different kind of new versions of homeopathy. And of course, acupuncture. Acupuncture was this outdated Chinese practice, illegitimate in China, that was appropriated by left-wing reaction to modern institutional science. They were looking for a way to fight back and to make their own universe, their own ideology with its own medicine. Acupuncture was the tool they used uh, to make that ideology coherent. Okay, but like, when when I got acupuncture, it, it wasn't some hippie that was doing it. It was an Asian dude. Right. And then some other time, it was two ladies. But though, you know, it, it wasn't a hippie dude, is what I'm trying to say. That's true. So what's up with that? I mean, like... Uh, well... Are you just trying to tear me down, Sean? Okay, so adversarial. Okay, I support you with your science. All right. So the interesting thing is that the Chinese elite, Chinese scientists, Chinese doctors maintained that acupuncture was like pretty dog shit until about the 1960s. Even as like the communists, remember communism is in theory an atheist philosophy and communist governments tend to be atheistic. And... The Chinese tried really hard to eradicate all their old culture. All the way to the 1960s, they had a cultural revolution. They were destroying Confucian shit. Acupuncture was part of the problem. But in the 1960s, a couple things happened. First of all, the cultural revolution just kind of flamed out. China got tired of destroying all of its old shit. Uh, this is around the same time Mao was getting tired. He had like four wives. He yeah. never washed. Dude, sleepy. Yeah, he's just a sleepy old man. He, I mean, he's a sleepy looking fucker. I, yeah, I've he seen, was always sleepy looking. I've he, seen a lot of drawings. You know what his job was? He was a librarian before he was a, a dictator. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I thought you meant like while he was dictator. He was also a librarian. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't trust librarians. Uh-oh. Yeah, but anyway, so the Cultural Revolution was flaming out. And China also was asserting itself in the world. It was sick of Russia's shit. They nearly fought a war with the Soviet Union. They were already a prominent nation and wanted to really embrace that, push Taiwan to the side, be recognized by America. And so part of the nationalist project was to dig through the trash bin of bullshit Chinese stuff and be like, oh man, what is super Chinese that white people like that will make us look like the ancient tradition that we really legitimately are? And acupuncture's flashy. White people like it. Nixon comes to China in 1972. They choose acupuncture as the thing that they're going to show him. They throw some needles into some random Chinese guy. Turns out it didn't actually really work anyway. He was like drugged or something. But it looked fancy. And it worked. And for the last 40 years, the Chinese Communist Party has been reappropriating from its past. The past that it tried to destroy in its own cultural revolution in the 1960s. That includes funding Confucian schools around the world. And it includes promoting acupuncture. The fact that acupuncture is both popular amongst kind of Western New Age medicine and now in China is not surprising. They are symbiotic impulses. For different reasons, they both want to hoist up acupuncture for something that it's not. Which is kind of why, to me, acupuncture looks like a crock of bullshit. I, I guess to take all of this and kind of collect it together, what you're telling me is one of the reasons why you have a hard time believing in acupuncture is because it's kind of built on a shaky foundation. That, like, it, its foundation seems to be swayed by kind of the, the mores of history and, like, what people feel like doing with their country and stuff like that. And it's, its popularity has nothing to do with its efficacy. It's popular because of these trends in society. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that that can be true. But at the same time, you know, uh, the clinical evidence right now seems to suggest that while acupuncture might not be useful for, like, all the shit that hippies wanted to use it for, it still has, like, kind of this, like, really targeted usefulness. 
And that, you know, it's not the only thing ever that's kind of made a comeback. Look at here, Mr. Science Man, trying to tell me what to think. <laughs> Get out of here, Mr. Science Man. I don't believe you, you cuck. Get out of here. Go back to Harvard. Oh, my God. That was a lot of vitriol. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. Oh, man. That's, I, it's just I'm American, so I get into that really quickly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. You know, uh, the story of acupuncture actually reminds me a little bit of the story of leeching. You so, said something blasphemous that leeching is actually useful, even though leeching is a gross thing that old white people did. Yeah, leeches are gross. But I think I have a defensible position here, so why don't we take a break so you can cool down a little bit? I'm so hot right now. Yeah, you're just raging. You're a raging <sighs> bull. I've had a lot of wine. So we'll have this dude calm down, and then once we're back, I'll, I'll explain why I think leeching is maybe a little bit similar to acupuncture. Hi, this is Donatella Iglesias. And if you're like me, you're a smart person, and you thought you could handle marriage and children. Now you're wrong, and you're getting a divorce. And this is not an amicable divorce. You really want to destroy their lives. The same way they destroyed your life when they slept with Ezra Klein. Yeah, I get it. He has his own interview podcast. But that doesn't make him better than me. Hmm. Well, sign up for Rage Quit, a legal app that will take all your divorce paperwork and fill it with useless legalese and extraneous clauses. It'll destroy the life of your spouse and all her awful lawyers by forcing them to sort through all that paperwork while the app also sends them useless restraining orders. That way, they'll inevitably lose their court case and you'll keep the kids. So sign up for Rage Quit when you don't just want to quit the marriage. You want to grab your computer, throw it out the window, stamp it down, and then call the FBI on her. Download Rage Quit today. And we are back, baby. We are going to be talking about some bloodsuckers out there. And no, I'm not talking about beautiful vampires. Ooh. All right, I'm talking about leeches. I think you told me before the break that leeches were actually first used by Neanderthal. And we have evidence of that on the cave paintings of Lascaux. <laughs> well, while I'm sure that any number of apes have fallen into rivers and gotten leeches all over them, the first recorded it's racist. <laughs> He's called Neanderthal apes, dude. That's our dad. You're talking about our dad right now. <laughs> They're primates. It works out. It's okay. <laughs> you know the the sort of recorded history goes back to Egypt. So we're talking mm. about a history 1500 BCE. Mm. Uh, that's even before acupuncture, but after the pyramids. Yeah. So Old Kingdom Egyptians didn't know anything about leeches, but Middle Kingdom uh, Egyptians were all about leeches. So what you're saying is this is kind of like one of those ancient aliens type situations. That's not at all. <laughs> <laughs> because pyramids were designed by the aliens to, to make razor blades stay sharp, I think is what it was. You haven't got out of the mindset of being the fuck up. You're right. You're right. back to being it's the smart one. still doing history shit. Anyway, okay, okay. okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. So we got the Egyptians. And then, you know, the Greeks really went to town on the whole leech idea because because they had this sure. kind of theory about the humors in the body and that the humors were these different liquids in your body like bile yeah. and blood and that these humors could become unbalanced and when they're unbalanced that's when you get disease so all diseases are associated with some kind of unbalance of some kind of humor and leeches could be used to suck out blood one of the humors for any disease associated with too much blood okay so that sounds pretty ridiculous sure so Galen is a really famous old Greek broad who was running around, and he, he liked using leeches a lot. So the Greeks kind of really popularized leeches, and leeches were used on and off by basically everyone that ever encountered the Greek circle of medicine. So that includes the Arabs, that includes, you know, a lot of medieval use. And then leeches basically reached the height of their popularity. Mm. I think in when a... Gwyneth Paltrow sold them <laughs> <No>. last week. <laughs> Goop uh, leeches. Unless Gwyneth Paltrow is herself a vampire and was around in 1820s France. Yeah. Which I think is possible. Yes. Um, 1820s France was actually kind of the height of leech popularity. In That's Europe. super fucking recent. And that sounds kind of like a similar time to the Orientalism situation france was really just reaching for everything they wanted all the shit <laughs> and i'm talking about a lot of leeches so in one year 
over 40 million leeches were imported into France because they didn't have enough right. leeches. They were mostly... That's hilarious. I guess farmed, in a sense, in Germany. Wow. Um, <laughs> and, in fact, the leeches from Germany were also exported to the United States because the U.S. had sort of like our own native leeches, but they weren't considered as good. I was they... <laughs> about to ask if there's like weird, like, I don't use farmed leeches. I only use wild caught leeches. Yeah, so so the German leeches were known for their good suck. <laughs> <laughs> and and U.S. leeches just couldn't cut it. They, they weren't sucking they hard enough. They weren't sucking hard enough. Yeah, that's... Uh... <laughs> you know, Australian leeches are really coming up in the world, though, now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you make a, a lot of good wine, a lot of good leeches, it turns out. It's good soil, good good streams. So we'll get into modern leeches in a sec, but basically uh, leeches were over-farmed to the point where they Hilarious. were kind of like endangered for a bit. I'll be goddamn. Because people kept grabbing them and sticking them on for all kinds of diseases, including things where leeches clearly could not help like tuberculosis and stuff like that. You know, this is gonna sound in, at first like a digression, but the interesting thing is that 1820s France is actually really similar to America today. And that France had gone through a war recently, but was still truly the main cultural power of Europe and had this really prominent uh, bourgeoisie that was just like Gwyneth Paltrow goop style, just grabbing at all sorts of stupid shit all the time. Things got hot really fast. Like you had mentioned Orientalism, it makes sense that that's happening at the same time as this leeches craze because you had this upwardly mobile middle class that was newly consumerist, newly obsessed with leisure. And just like Americans today buying all sorts of wacky shit like Herbalife or whatever. Yeah, and Crocs. Right, and Crocs. <laughs> I like Crocs. <laughs> what I like can't be a bad thing. <laughs> Crocs and sous vide are the fucking modern day. I do like sous vide. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm a son of a bitch. No, but it's just it's interesting that leeches and acupuncture in a way kind of emerge in France in the same period because that period of the French middle class is very similar to ours. Yeah, and you know, this whole leech craze, which it really was, I mean yeah. millions of leeches a year. Right. This leech craze basically died out in the very early nineteen hundreds. Okay. Wow, because... so it was a hundred years of a leech craze. I mean, you know, leeches had been around in Europe for a very long right, time. They reached its peak in the 1820s and 30s. Yeah. And then there was kind of this, like, you know, gradual downslide. And then it crashed really hard in the early 1900s because germ theory and right. penicillin were such a successful answer to disease that leeches seemed very backwards and crazy. Yes. Um, and honestly... A hundred years both sounds long and kind of short for something to go from 40 million leeches a year to basically none. Good for leeches, though. Yeah. Started making they made a comeback. A comeback. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, but, um, and, and the irony is that, like, leeches might actually be useful for some things. The problem is that they were overprescribed. They were used for everything because it was a fad. Right. So leeches actually do something. Okay. You know, in, in contrast to what... Some people might say about acupuncture where it's like, hey, I don't know. You know, it's like well, it's got some cheese shit. So what is it, Mr. Science? Talk down at me. Spit on me from your point in the ivory tower. <laughs> Tell me what leeches do. Right. So leeches in the process of sucking out blood also inject anticoagulants. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. And the anticoagulants can be very important for preventing the creation of kind of pools of venous blood in the skin. What the fuck is quacking? Yeah, coagulants, sure. Similar yeah. to quacking. <laughs> Co coagulation is uh, basically like a scab that forms, right? Mm. So like when you get a wound, you want it to coagulate so that you can get that scab to form. When you get a big bruise uh, under your skin, okay. when, the, when the bruise under your skin kind of changes color, you know what I mean? It starts to get those like purples and right. stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, sure. That's also coagulation. In some situations, especially in cases of surgery, or maybe where you're trying to reattach something or repair something, like a nose or an ear or a finger, having really big pools of blood that start to coagulate means that that tissue is not getting fresh blood okay. anymore. Okay. And that can mean that a lot of those reattachments can fail. And you'll just end up having necrosing tissue, damaged tissue that just ends up dying. So actually, for a long time, there were some things that you couldn't really reattach because the way that the blood vessels were, it would be very, very difficult to surgically reattach them. And if you couldn't reattach them, you'd just have blood pooling up and coagulating, turning to big scabs, and then the stuff would just die. But you put a leech on it. 
Yeah. It sucks the blood, all that excess blood. Yep. And your humors are balanced. And then doctors can heal you. Yeah, so as the ghost of Galen watches... I was about to say, I want you to de-stupid that. <laughs> uh, that. That is, generally speaking, what happens. So if you're reattaching a nose onto a dude's face, like Vincent Van Gogh, you're reattaching oh. that ear on that dude, mm. they could have put some leeches on there. Yeah. And then the leeches would both prevent coagulation and through the act of actually sucking that blood through could help facilitate the reattachment, the growth of these blood vessels back into the thing you're reattaching. So then in modern surgery, there's actually a place for leeching, and leeching enables types of surgeries that were actually impossible, like 50 years ago. We knew what leeching was, but because we just thought socially that it was like, that it was stupid, we wouldn't do it anymore. Yeah, so the, there might be some doctor listeners out there that'll get frustrated with me painting things too broad a brush, but mm -hmm. there there are certain surgeries... All surgeries! Where, <laughs> ...where there appear to be legitimate uses of leeches to help facilitate the recovery process right. and to increase the odds of success. It's like, I remember an episode of House, they put maggots into a wound right. to like eat out all the bad stuff. Right, the dead tissue. Right, and that yeah. balanced the humors in the body. <laughs> I shouldn't have told you about the humor. That was a bad idea, dude. Where, yeah, that's going to yeah. make this real stupid. <laughs> so, but yeah, so it's like, the interesting thing is that insects, all these different, like, well, I guess leeches aren't insects, but all these crazy invertebrae that we used to use a thousand years ago that seemed stupid in the 1900s actually do have value. Yeah, uh, leeches are annelids, so they're actually part of the same group as earthworms. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, and actually, there's a protein that's been extracted from leeches, that actual protein that helps fight coagulation. And so there are companies now that are doing sort of like genetic engineering to be able to make yeast produce that protein so that we can sell that protein for people who need it as an anticoagulant. So actually, there, there's a lot of ways that things that may have seemed dumb in the early 1900s can kind of make a comeback now and still be valuable to us in modern medical science. That's actually the story of traditional medicines in general, right? Like we, we can paint too broad of a brush of saying that they work or that they don't work. When, if we research them, you can find targeted application and uses that then open up into entire new fields or entire new treatments. Yeah, I think that it's easy to go too far one way or another on this. You know what I mean? I think traditional medicines, it's an area where the moderate viewpoint and the kind of careful skeptical viewpoint is actually the most appropriate one. Mm -hmm. There are some people who think that because something is old, it must be true. Or, or must, must be wrong. Right. And that wrong viewpoint, I think, comes up a lot. So I think at some point we're going to have an episode where we'll talk more about things that have turned out value that's been drawn out of traditional medicine um, because there's actually there's a lot of stories about that. But when it comes to acupuncture, right. kind of specifically, I think that the trials seem to suggest that it's either a really particularly effective placebo-like effect for pain management or it has some kind of extra real biologically relevant mechanism for pain relief. And if that's the case, then for pain relief, I think that we should really look into what kinds of cases it can be used. Because pain relief is one of those areas where there's a lot of people who suffer. And acupuncture has very little downside in terms of negative effects on your body. Sure. In the world of pain relief, there's acupuncture and then there's morphine. If we can find a universe where acupuncture can be refined into a consistent treatment, we could use instead of a narcotic, that would be a good universe. Right, right. And if we can use it as a way to, you know, as people are coming down off the use of a narcotic to still give them pain relief in the meantime, maybe we can help wean people off of narcotics better. There's all kinds of ways where acupuncture could have a really solid place in medicine, and I think that it's worth looking into more and trying to better understand the biological mechanisms. Well, guys... So, you've heard it from Sean. Acupuncture can treat all your problems. <laughs> Fuck. No, um, I do have a closing note. I have been reminded by a coworker that she got acupuncture for her cat. And her cat does now feel much, much better. 
<laughs> so I how, watch. How can she tell? <laughs> Did they ask the cat? <laughs> I mean, I I think so. She does talk to them. It's just cats and, are assholes all the time. How are you supposed to be able to tell if it's feeling better? Uh, I wasn't there. It's not to get nicer. But she <laughs> sat the cat down and, and said, do you feel better? And the cat went, meh. In a, in a way that was more, that was happier oh, than usual. I see. I see. Uh, I don't know. Does this prove or disprove acupuncture? Th- that's for the gods, Sean. All I want to say is that is that at least in the life of Midge, I think is the name of the cat, in the life of Midge and my coworker, acupuncture has proved beneficial. And what can skeptics like me do in the face of like a demonstrably happier person and cat? Yeah, and cat. Yeah, that's a that's a great way to close this out. Mm-hmm. So to all you cat lovers out there, I guess waste your fucking money on cat acupuncture and sign up for Patreon. If you sign up for our Patreon page, we will send your cat feline-specific <laughs> fetal bovine serum. No, stop it with the FPS. I thought you were going to say that we were going to send their cats needles. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great idea. That's much I, more affordable. I don't know if that's legal either. Anyway, okay, so... you sign up for our different tiers of our Patreon, you'll get increasing amounts of needles for cats. So, we do have a Patreon page. It is patreon.com slash petridish. We also are now officially on, I think, all of the things and ways to get podcasts. That's, so, that means iTunes, baby. Yeah, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, Spotify, all of it, Jack. And uh, we got an email address, okay? So if we said, because uh, we've we've said things wrong already. And so if, if you're just out. spitting mad over something that we said, or if you like us for some reason... We have an email address. It's petridishpod at gmail.com. And hit us up with some of those notes. You can leave us reviews and shit, I think, on the iTunes store now, which is weird, but whatever. So you can do that for some reason. And, uh, yeah, we got to thank Stacy Song, our producer and sound lord. We're going to keep thanking Brian Allen for the artwork because it's out there now. And you can see it on all the stuff. Uh, and we're going to thank you, the listeners. Because you exist for sure. I'm, I'm positive now that there's like dozens of you. Thank you for listening, listeners. And uh, tune in next time. See you guys later. Da-da-da-da-da-da.